I love hashtag Okelich Valentine's as much as I love repre- as much as Representative Gregor loves sipping on a cool, refreshing glass of properly labeled donkey milk. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm turn the volume down too low. This is good music. I'm joined uh, as we are every week with Miss Bailey Perkins. Hello, Bailey. Hello. Thanks for being here. And Dr. Scott Melson. What's up, man? How, How are, are you? you? Well, it took us uh, three weeks after the announcement to get us all in the same room. Finally, <laughs> finally happened. Uh, also in the room is uh, is Neil the intern. Neil waves. He doesn't have a mic over there. We have a fourth guest that is on their way. But we wanted to go ahead and get started because it's late in the day. So um, thanks, uh, Scott and Bailey, for holding it down last week without me. Yeah, apologies to our listeners that that uh, is getting released today. So with uh, in Andy's absence, I was in charge of uh, the technology and the recording part. Uh, thought I did it right. You did. To, you did do it right. Yeah, but then I played it back and it sounded like I did it wrong. So we thought it was ruined. Then Andy got here this week and played it back again and was like no dude you you did it right so you'll you'll get a double dose this week yeah that's that's fine well but now that you're here we have the chance to to celebrate you so congratulations on the new edition thank you that's right i was i was absent last week because my wife had a baby i mean it was expected to have a baby just the timing was unexpected it's like it's just, well all of a sudden just out of nowhere you've seen those tv shows just <laughs> the same as i have so um Wanted to start this week with uh, a quick reminder about our annual Predicto-Rama. I didn't have my my echo turned on. But anyway, the our annual Predicto-Rama guessing game about what's going to happen this year in the Oklahoma legislature. I will share it. I need to send out an email as well. I'll do that probably somewhere around 2 a.m. tonight uh, while I'm up with the baby. And everyone, you should definitely tune in. Scott and I went over this a couple of episodes ago. And I'll put it on our blog as well. Super fun. We've only had a few folks chime in. We will keep that open until at least, oh, the first bill deadline day, which is next Friday. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, and so that's uh, that's the 20, 20th. Um, so we'll, we'll keep it open until next Friday so you can get your responses in. And Scott, we haven't discussed what our prize pack is going to be this year. It will be glorious. Can we say a like just a pizza or something? Sure, something I, and and good pizza. I get, that's right. We'll get you a fine pizza, like like DiGiorno quality or better. Maybe a t-shirt and a koozie. Hey man, who can't use a t-shirt and a koozie? That's right, so true. especially with a pizza. Right, those those things go together. I'm wearing let's fix let's fix this t-shirt right now because I've just been wearing sweats around the house for the last week. So, <laughs> all right, um, well. This will be our first episode of the uh, of 2020 of the regular legislative session, um, and so let's get into it. Uh, we've got a list of a few things that happened this week. The first of which is the bill that would ban conversion therapy has advanced. It has a big deal. It's a big deal. It was this is submitted last year, two years ago. It's a carryover. Yes. So last year then. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe we'll hold off on a detailed discussion of the conversion therapy bill uh, and get back into that here in just a couple minutes. We're waiting for our mystery guest. Yes. All right. Um, but there was another bill. So uh, this is a big deal. Um, uh, this bill by Sean uh, Roberts. This is a bill that would represent Roberts. This is a bill that would change how uh, vaccines change the recommendations for vaccine administration in Oklahoma. And it would, it would take that... Uh, authority for lack of a better term and take it away from the state department of health uh invested instead with the legislature so the legislature would determine what the recommended schedule of vaccines are for you know kids rather than you know like doctors in the health department the actual um, experts on wait okay hang, say just say that again yeah the legislature would be in charge of establishing the vaccine schedule for children correct what could go wrong, <laughs> right? Right, because they're so good at every they're so good at everything else that they do. They um, they're constitutionally required, I guess not anymore, but they were constitutionally required to pass an education budget by April first every year, and yeah. they did it twice ever. The Correct. first and the last year of that 
of that law. Yeah. So uh, that was heard in committee, I believe, on Wednesday. Quite contentious. Lots and lots of uh, activists at the Capitol on both sides of the issue, particularly on the side of uh, anti-vaccines. Um, there was an amendment offered that changed the bill so it would it would say that the legislature doesn't determine the recommended schedule for all vaccines, but it would just determine when the, uh, the HPV vaccine, also known as Gardasil, should be administered. Um, however, the bill huh. failed in committee on a vote of six to four. Interestingly, though, so this bill, uh, Representative Roberts is the chair of the HSS uh, committee, and the bill remains property of the committee. So what that means is even though it's been voted down, since he's the chair, he can kind of bring it back. Whenever he's ready. Yeah. So it's not it's not dead, but it's dead for now. All right. So they they changed it to just be about HPV. Yeah. Which tells me it's not really about vaccines. It's about sex. Um, well, it's it's about both. So there's a huge movement of people who think that vaccines hurt people. Well, let's talk about what HPV is because I don't think some of our listeners know exactly. Sure. Yeah, so HPV stands for the human papillomavirus. Human papillomavirus is a sexually transmitted infection that affects, um, honestly, the vast majority of sexually active people in the United States. There are some estimates that around 85% of people who have ever been sexually active in the U.S. have been exposed to HPV in one form or another. 85%. Yeah. Yeah. So chances are, if a person is going to have sex, there's a reasonable probability that they'll be posed, they'll be exposed to HPV at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several strains of the HPV virus, the human papillomavirus that cause cancer. They cause cervical cancer in women. In fact, HPV is the leading cause of cervical cancer in women. It also causes oropharyngeal, also known as mouth and throat cancer, in both men and women. Um, And so this is a vaccine that is very effective. It's very safe. It has been proven to decrease cancer rates. Mm -hmm. Like like the cervical cancer uh, rate in this country has gone down with the introduction of the vaccine. But when you get it between the ages of 13 and 26, it's most preventive to. It's most effective to prevent it through the lifetime of that person. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And the deal, the deal with HPV is a lot of folks are resistant to HPV. You know, they say it's because it's a newer vaccine. New meaning it's less than like twenty years old. Um, they say that they don't think it's been tested enough. But really, a lot of people, and these are parents that I talk to, is that you know for. For those who don't remember, uh, my, my other life, when I'm not here, I'm uh, a pediatrician. As um, if there's any any question about that after you dropped oral pharyngeal or <laughs> however you pronounced it. <coughs> oh, the doctor's sick. That's good. <laughs> okay. that's A cough does not equal sickness. Let's just be super clear. Um, but um, a lot of parents that I talk to, they... They're really hesitant about like, oh, you want to give because we give it at a, we give it like first dose at age eleven, mm-hmm. and so a lot of folks are really like, you're gonna give my eleven year old kid, boy, girl, whoever, a vaccine against a sexually transmitted disease. Like, why is that necessary? And it seems like to parents sometimes that maybe we're like condoning kids that age engaging in sexual activity. We're not, but the point of any vaccine is to try and get immunity to the illness before you're exposed, right? You don't want to wait until a person is sexually active to give the vaccine, right? And like it or not, and again, I want to be really clear, I'm not condoning anything. I'm just stating facts, okay? There are going to be a lot of teenagers who are going to engage in sexual activity in one form or another. And so, you know, our job as health professionals is to try and protect them as best we can and give the best, most accurate information that we can. Um, but that's the, that's the HPV vaccine, and that's where it comes from. But that's why there's such opposition to this. Now, this bill with Representative Roberts and the, and the folks that have asked him to run the bill, um, these are folks that by and large are opposed to really um, most, if not all, kind of mandated vaccines for um, a, a variety of reasons. Um, um, I have to say I'm really glad that the bill died in committee. That's not the only anti-vaccine bill that we have this, this session, but it was one of the more prominent and one of the more dangerous ones. Um, and I think one of the ones that in my opinion, might have had a chance to pass because it didn't seek to, you know, change exemptions. It didn't seek to kind of change change the requirements. It was just changing who was responsible for those requirements. But in my opinion, putting that in the hands of the legislature would be a terrible, terrible idea. Well, and what makes it scary is that it then makes how a particular vaccine is administered and into who has to take it yeah. in the hands of the legislature, which then makes it um, a political decision more so than a decision based on science and health and a conversation between a person and their doctor. And so we definitely want to make sure that when we're considering legislation that it's based on uh, what 
makes most sense to ensure that we're operating based off science versus um, how we feel. Girl, preach. We're going to, that is us. That's a toast right there. 100%. All right. So the next bill um, is about needle exchange. And unexpectedly, this bill advanced. Yeah, this is this is huge. So Another big deal. Yeah. This is Bailey. Do you want to? Do you want to? You want to take the? You want to? I'll give the the quick note, and then you definitely jump in because I know that you have a lot more context that you can provide than I can. Um, but the short um, version of this is that um, there are different ways that people can get certain diseases like HIV and hepatitis C, and when we talk about addiction to drugs, one of the ways that uh, drug addiction uh, manifests is through um, needle exchange and Mm -hmm. people using needles. And so with that rise of um, the usage of needles for taking drugs, you run the risk of uh, higher HIV and hepatitis C rates. And so what this bill does is it works to try to reduce the presence of needles out there um, to ensure that people aren't using shared needles to reduce the spread of Hep C and HIV. Right, and so currently there's a there's a ban on using federal funding to pay for needle exchange programs. Um, state level funding is permissible, and in some cases that's it hasn't been allowed in Oklahoma. But a really famous example from a few years ago was that there was an HIV outbreak in Indiana. And then Governor Mike Pence, now the vice president, of course. Heard of that guy. Yeah. He's, he's been around. Um, so uh, Governor Pence. Super white. Calls his wife mother. Is that true? I'm just joking. <laughs> I know he doesn't lunch without her. But um, he, he uh, loosened the rules um, to allow for some state funded and to, to make needle exchange legal as a way to curb this epidemic. And it was, it was tied to the opioid epidemic, which was a confluence of epidemics there um but that decision likely led to the end of that hiv outbreak um because it allowed people to trade in dirty needles like used needles that's probably a better way to phrase it use needles for clean ones we want them to stop using drugs right but if they're not going to stop using drugs at least they could use clean needles so they're not at additional risk right this is called harm reduction uh, and it's a it's a really big deal this is a that's a that's a Great point. This is a this is a great bill. This is one of those bills that like I really like because I mean, you know, I don't I don't I don't thought I'd say like it's perfect, but this is a great example of like our legislators, and this was sponsored by Representative Carol Bush in the House and Senator Kerry Hicks in the Senate, um, looking around the country, looking at places like California, looking at places like Indiana, looking at places that have done harm reduction programs, and thinking what can we take that seems to work really well and bring it to Oklahoma. Um, you know, watching the. Uh, or reading, I should say, reading, <coughs> reading kind of the summary of the debate over this bill in in clinic was in some ways a little bit frustrating because you certainly see some of the, you know, there were a lot of questions about well, you know, if we're offering needle exchange, isn't that aren't we just aren't we just condoning this? Aren't we just saying that it's okay? And just just so we're all just super clear, um, helping someone do something safely that they're going to do no matter what is not necessarily condoning anything and saying, I want to make sure that you're as safe as possible. You shouldn't do this period, but if you're going to do it, here's how to do it and have a like less chance of hurting yourself or somebody else. And and that's the biggest thing too, is that it doesn't just affect the person who may be um, injecting the drugs inside of them. Um, Sometimes the symptoms and signs of many of these diseases don't show up, so they may be carrying it, and they could potentially Mm -hmm. pass it to someone Mm -hmm. else. And so this is definitely a public health and public safety issue when we allow people to safely um, exchange, I mean, turn in those needles instead of using needles that aren't clean. And the other other thing, too, is that these these programs have been shown, not only do they reduce the spread of communicable diseases, but they actually, people tend to stop using drugs. This exposes people to resources and like to, to resources, to people, to programs that otherwise they may not come into contact with. And I, I want to say, I can't quote the study, but I believe Representative Bush, Representative Bush uh, uh, quoted a study in debate that shows there's something like two, like a two thirds reduction mm-hmm. in 
in drug use among people who participated in needle exchange. So like not only does this help keep those people safer while they're using, but it actually increases the likelihood that they're going to stop and get in the treatment. Right. Um, so it accomplishes the thing that we want it to accomplish. Right. Like Ima- it's imagine that it's, it's a, this, this is just a great, and it's bipartisan. You've got Senator Hicks, who's a Democrat. You've got representative Bush who's a Republican. Like this is, um, this is one of those, I got a warm and fuzzy feeling in my heart. This well, is, a, this is like a great example of government doing what government should do. Right. Right. Government could be a force for good. It's fantastic. So, and I, I know why Representative Bush is carrying this, is that there's an organization in Tulsa called Shots who is um, doing this. They're doing needle exchange, and they're just taking the hits, right? Like, they're out there knowing that they're potentially breaking the law, but they feel like it's the right thing to do, which the, the parallel that I draw is when uh, tattooing, um, was on the verge of being legalized in Oklahoma. There's a bunch of shops that just opened up and said, we're just going to do tattoos. And the the cops would shut them down. They'd fine them um, like 250 bucks and make them shut down for the day. And the guys that were running it said, like, we'll pay your bail, we'll pay the fees, but we believe that tattoos are fine and legal. And they just kept doing it And the, as the bill came through and it passed. And, and so that... I guess they both involve needles. That's probably why I drew the parallel, but I, I've uh, met the women that are running shots. Super cool. Like just really compassionate people. We should have them on the pod. I we can, totally should. We, I can make this happen. Um, all right. Uh, up next, Scott, I like the way you worded this <laughs> because it involves uh, an automobile manufacturer and seatbelts. Uh, this, this is just an update. It's re- represent, representative uh, Ford uh, no, has a no relation. No relation has a has a bill uh, that would close the loophole that opened up in uh, seatbelt laws in Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Uh, we discussed that on our legislative preview and our predictorama a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that bill advanced out of committee this week, which is awesome for uh, all motorists in Oklahoma, which in Oklahoma includes I don't know probably most people, right? <laughs> <coughs> Um, I'm sorry. I'll stop coughing. <laughs> You're not sick, allegedly. I'm okay. So, just so everybody knows, I was diagnosed with the flu on Wednesday of this week. It was eight o'clock in the morning. I took flu medicine. I took Zofluza. As soon as I got diagnosed, I like stayed home from work. I'm feeling much better. It's been 48 hours. I'm no longer contagious. I, I mean, I'm not you're the doctor, so we're going to trust you. They, you know those doctors. He was back at work with a mask on, seeing patients. I'm not telling my wife you have the flu, because I would not be allowed to be here right now if that was the case. No, man, it's been 48 hours. I, I know. Medicine. I know. I'm not contagious. You know, we don't take chances. We got a, a five-pound newborn. Um, so joining us now, uh, live from Oklahoma City, is Representative Jason Dunnington. Hello, sir. How are you guys doing? Hey, man. How are we you? Are great. What's this thing about the flu? What? Scott has the flu. Okay, I don't have the flu. <laughs> All right, you I, want to know an interesting I thing? I had the flu. I can tell an interesting thing to the doc about the flu. So you know the the uh, state of Oklahoma gets a certain number of flu vaccines every year. Like we order them as a state for our population because it's important for us to get flu shots. And we have like a ridiculous amount of them left over. And why is that? Because people don't get them. Because people don't get them. We need to get flu shots. That's true. Yeah, in Oklahoma. True. I mean, well, and so I'll say, like, this year, people's, you know, obviously, like, I got my flu shot. I got it in October, and I got the flu. Um, but my flu, with the combination of good flu medicine and the flu shot, I was, I mean, I was never, I never felt that bad. Like, honestly, I never had a fever. I just had a cough. And I was better, like, back to baseline within 24 hours. So yep. even if you still get the flu, having had the flu shot. It makes the symptoms. Yeah, it weaker. makes, you don't get as sick. It makes a difference. Well, just. It, it's dangerous. The flu is dangerous, especially for kids and the elderly, vulnerable yeah. populations. Yeah, Haven't we had like a higher rate of people die of the flu in this season than normal? This is, this year is a, this year is a fairly deadly flu. Um, I want to say, God, I, I don't know the exact number because we get updates from the CDC all the time, but it's in the tens of thousands. So, you know, everybody's freaking out about coronavirus and like certainly the coronavirus has the potential to be you know, a global, I mean, it is becoming a global pandemic, but it appears that the coronavirus um, has a mortality rate that is substantially, that's substantially lower than SARS to which it had been compared. Um, but it's also lower than the flu, right? Like the flu, 8,000 deaths. The flu has killed way 8, more people flu deaths. than, uh, yeah. is it, is it 8,000? I thought it was over 10 now, but is it eight? No, this, this was last week. I was in the hospital. Um, um but and I mean, we could make those numbers decline drastically if more people yep. would take advantage of the shots that 
Representative Dunnington was talking about that the state provides. Absolutely. Let's, uh, Sorry to take us off on the no, floor. No, no. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's hey, passionate it, about it. There's right. always time for a public health PSA. Here That's right. This. Well, That's earlier right. we mentioned conversion therapy, yes. so now it might be a great time oh, to here we go. go back we to We're just going to jump right into it. Right? Tell you us about your bill. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just going to tell you, this week was super exciting. I mean, having done this for six years, and uh, I always tell the story, when I first came in uh, to the House, there were 24, 25 uh, anti-LGBTQ bills that usually were on the defense just trying to fight, um, not for equality, but just trying to fight to keep uh, for things getting worse um, for members of those com- uh, that community. This year, ran a bill to end the practice of conversion therapy on children in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, after an interim study this fall, uh, lots of empirical data uh, brought all that to uh, the committee this week, and it passed on a 10-6 vote, bipartisan, six Republicans, four Democrats, and for the first time in the history of Oklahoma, uh, members of the legislature took a vote to protect the rights of LGBTQ uh, persons in our state, and I think that that is something we should all celebrate. So That's amazing. It's amazing even to, 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 to hear. Can you give a quick, like, for, for everybody listening who may not know, what is, what's conversion therapy? And like, why is this such a big deal? Yeah, so the, the short of it is conversion therapy is using a therapeutic practice uh, to try and change somebody from being, try and change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. And what we know from all of the, the research and studies that have been done on this for decades is that A, it doesn't work. Um, you know, B, that it's an extremely harmful practice on children because it creates um, great levels of depression, um, substance abuse, um, you know, negative feelings about oneself, and probably, the, and probably the worst part is um, the amount of young people that attempt uh, suicide that have been forced into it. Matter of fact, a recent study that I uh, have quoted a lot, a recent study has shown that 42% of children under the age of 18 that are forced into conversion therapy by their parents attempt suicide. Wow. So. That's, um, that's all. And this is, I, you know, I know, you, I know this has been an issue you've been passionate about ever since you joined the legislature and something you've run for, um, I think, I don't know if we had it on our, on our predictor Rama this year. I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but it is, it's mad as encouraging to know they got out, got out of committee. Do you feel like, uh, what do you feel like? How do you feel about the bill's chances moving forward? Yeah. So next step is, uh, is obviously ask for a, a hearing on the house floor. And while I'm hopeful that we'll uh, continue the momentum, I mean, a lot of that's going to be, um, it's an election year and how does leadership feel about putting something that I don't think is controversial because it's protecting children, but how does leadership look at this as far as their membership and, whether or not they're going to, you know, want to put them on a on a vote for it. So there's a bill that it's not real. It's not related in any formal sense, but it's kind of in the same area. Um, that would it's modeled after. I want to. It's probably an Alec bill. I think that was modeled after some legislation that passed in South Dakota um, that would criminalize um, hormone therapy. Like would would put a criminal penalty on doctors for prescribing hormone therapy to trans teenagers who want to convert, um, to transition. I think that died in committee this week. Is that right? Well, it, it still has a chance to be heard. I think next week in committee, it's on the Senate side. It's a Senator Don bill. Um, obviously we hope that that doesn't move forward. Certainly an unnecessary thing to try and put to weaponize, um, you know, the medical community against the LGBTQ community. And the bill that you are referencing in South Dakota actually got killed uh, in committee this week as well. Oh, that's so, good news. Good news. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Right. There we go. We have serious production value here at the, <laughs> here at the pod. <laughs> Nothing but that. You no. guys get all switched around. I think we were faced that way last time. Yeah. Well, we're... we had a couch for a long time in here. Yeah. Listeners, we've changed our studio a few times. We and we've been talking for probably two years about doing a special about how we do it, like our equipment, all that stuff. But we keep changing it. <laughs> we should adding hosts should um, be stable for like three months. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to um, the next one. Just of note, uh, as is customary at the state legislature, um, this week was was it this week or last week was, was I think it was this week, wasn't it? Oh, it got postponed because of snow. Yeah. Rose Day was this week. 
which is the annual anti-abortion rally at the Capitol. There were hundreds, at least, of people up there, I assume. You there were, were there, Jess? Yeah, there, there were. And this year, there was a uh, rally that took place at the same time. Ah. So you had both pro-choice and um, pro-lifers uh, holding you know, like dueling rallies this year at the Capitol. Right. So, and Rose Day traditionally takes place last week. Right. It kind of got bumped from the snow day, but they joined up with abolitionists, which is another new group that's kind of come about. So, oh, so the Rose Day folks aren't aren't the abolitionists. No, this is well, way. But the abolitionists take a step beyond the traditional Rose Day advocates. Ah. So, <laughs> what I noticed this year is that the abolitionists hired a graphic designer. Because they had some really well-designed posters. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I agree necessarily, but like, I was like, well, I do appreciate a, a well-designed poster. <laughs> they were everywhere. So you have an you have an eye for. An Did eye you for see quality. them? They were they quite. They had a senator treat like a really lifelike rendering on there, and then another did. one with an earthquake and the the earth was split, and there were some Bible verses involved. They was, had that last year too. They had some really incredible graphics that were yeah, done. It was last I mean, year, and they, you know, I don't. I'm not one that. There, obviously, I'm at the Capitol a lot during session, uh, and there are a number of different groups that come up yeah. there. And I just I feel like that that is you know part of our democracy is you should be able to go to your state's capital, yeah, and you should be able to um, you know exercise your First Amendment of free speech to talk about issues that matter to you. So, hundred percent, I don't ever have a problem with groups that come up there um, and you know protest or advocate or whatever they're doing, as long as you're not being violent at the Capitol. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, you have a right to be there. Talk about issues that matter to you. Decisions are made by those who show up. That's right. Did things get a little tense between the two groups at the Capitol? I saw I saw on Twitter they had, like, highway patrolmen, like, troopers in between. Was that just precautionary, or was there some heated rhetoric? It's usually precautionary. Whenever they know they're going to have uh, larger groups of people at the Capitol, there's usually a, a greater presence of highway patrol, who, by the way, do a phenomenal job of making sure that people still are able to exercise their right of free speech, um, but keep the peace in the building. And, you know, since I've been there, they've highway patrol has done nothing but phenomenal jobs. So I've been really impressed with them. Um, I feel like they've, their workout routine has increased because those dudes are jacked. Yeah. Like, I feel like when we started, let's fix this, they were there and now like their biceps are the size of my head. So <laughs> I don't know what, what they're doing on the side, but it's, they are, yeah, Really pumping some iron. And some of the, the nicest um, men and women yeah, uh, yeah. that uh, that you'll meet in the building. So. I, after our, um, for the People Not Politicians campaign, after our Supreme Court hearing, we were all kind of milling about outside the Supreme Court chambers. You know, we were some of the last ones to leave because it was our deal. And there was like a group of a whole bunch of, of, um, of the uh, troopers standing there probably eight or 10 and I mean, they're just kind of hanging out and it was probably shift change or something, but it was, uh, I was like, it was like a WWE match. Yes. It was shift <laughs> change. Right, yeah. It's like tag in, right. tag out. That's right. <laughs> well, they had the, they had the hand maidens there this year too. They were part of the, uh, wow. The, um, pro choice rally. So you had, uh, 10 women dressed in all red from head to toe with, like little bonnet with the bonnets on. Yeah. The handmaidens. Yeah. That's creepy. And they had homemade signs. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. So shit's getting real, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, what's, uh, our next bill or issue to talk about also relates to you. This is about the death penalty. Ooh. Uh, so representative Dunnington, you have a bill that would abolish the death penalty or end it right in, in Oklahoma. Yeah, so it would end um, the use of it in the sentencing phase of a trial. So the way our bill is written, because of what we did with state question in 2016, uh, it's it would be difficult for us to uh, write a piece of policy that we wouldn't need to go back and then have uh, the state uh, vote on as a state question if we were going to try and go retroactive on the death penalty. So what our bill would essentially do is from November 1st of 2020 and on, it would no longer be an option in the sentencing phase um, of, of cases in Oklahoma. And, you know, we just feel like that with all of what we've learned about the death penalty since, um, you know, 1977, one in nine people have been exonerated. Um, 
all of the in racial injustice that's been in our system uh, since then. It costs nearly three times as much as it does to uh, keep someone in prison for life without parole. And, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people just don't look at um, is that there is zero evidence that it's a deterrent to crime. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. if we know it's not a deterrent to crime and we know it costs us three times as much. And that we kill innocent people. And that we've gotten it wrong so many times. Mm -hmm. And that it disproportionately impacts people of color. Absolutely. Yeah, that's part of the racial injustice that's been in the system. And so, you know, I was really disappointed yesterday with a press conference um, with the governor and the AG where they have decided to um, start the death penalty uh, or start the sentencing phase again. Uh, So we'll have a 150-day period here, and then they'll basically start putting names on the docket. And it's just it's really frustrating to me. I mean, for a state that uh, prides itself, as we just talked about, prides itself on being so pro-life, you know, how many innocent lives uh, are we willing to uh, to execute in the name of justice and well i mean to me this is one man's opinion um but the death penalty hinges on hammurabi's code right like thousands of years ago the idea that like an eye for an eye of a, not a tooth for a tooth was it anyway but like a life for a life right like that you've done something so heinous that you should die like whatever it is is comparable and that you should lose your life. And that perhaps made sense in ancient Babylon, but it's the 21st century Oklahoma. And if, if we, I, have we considered not killing people? That's a, just an idea. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe, maybe we don't use our tax dollars to, to kill people. Yeah. Well, we have 47 people that are on, uh, currently on death row, uh, 26 of which are, um, out of appeals in their process. So, I mean, this is one of those things where in 150 days, they could literally start putting names on a docket and, you know, within an 18 month period or so, the state of Oklahoma could literally sentence 26 people to their death. Hmm. And it would be one thing if every one of those were in a case where they had actually taken a life, but Mm -hmm. some of those were an accomplice in it and Mm. not the actual one that took the life. Right. And so it just... There's so much to mm-hmm. how we sentence mm-hmm. and how that's been done and how juries were selected and whether or not defendants um, had the financial means to have uh, attorneys that could advocate for them in a way that would have given them, um, you know, perhaps greater opportunity for justice. I mean, we have a case right now, the Julius Jones case. Yeah. And I mean, you can't sit here and look at me with a straight face, seeing all of the evidence and tell me that you think that he got a fair trial. Mm-hmm. I mean, period. And, you know, he'll be one of the first five names on that list. And I just don't know how someone like Governor Stitt, who has claimed to be such a religious person and has talked in terms of pro-life to the extent that he has, could look Julius Jones' family in the face and say, you know, I think your son, your brother you know, your cousin needs to be on the list. I just, I don't know how you do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's an ongoing campaign right now. If the listeners are interested in getting engaged and, and feel frustrated by um, the conversation happening around the death penalty to write on behalf of Julie Jones to the governor. So take that opportunity and tell the governor why this isn't right and yeah. why the he, case should be reconsidered. I yeah. sent my letter. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of just, and this is you know, a, not a different way to think about it, but a, like a, a an addition, I guess. You know, you talk about how like one in nine people since 1977 have been exonerated, right? So if that statistic holds, we have 46 people on death row in Oklahoma right now. So that means that five of those people are innocent, mm-hmm. right? Like if you that makes my stomach turn, right? Like five of those people are innocent, and we're gonna we're going to kill them because we can. And that's only because of the development of how we're able to look at DNA and evidence. Mm -hmm. So even well before 1977, um, there are so many people that have been um, lynched, um, electric chair, all kinds of other ways that um, under the name of the state Mm -hmm. have been um, killed. 
Yeah, it's been under this idea of justice. And, and I tried to articulate this this morning when I did uh, your Vote Counts show when I said that it seems to me that there's this difference between our understanding of what justice is and this desire for vengeance. Hmm. And to me, capital punishment is more of a desire for vengeance. Um, do we know for a fact that some people that are on death row have committed heinous crimes? Yes. The answer is obviously yes. But we're not saying that they should have an opportunity to be out of prison. What we're saying is they should spend the rest of their life without the possibility of parole um, to um, to pay for the crimes that they committed. Um, and I think that's justice. But I think that we move it into vengeance when we um, start trying to, to take life for a life. And especially when we know when we get it wrong and that we have so much evidence that we've gotten it wrong. Not only got it wrong in the sentencing phase, but just got it wrong in how we actually carry out the capital punishment itself. I mean, the last two cases in Oklahoma in 2015 were, wrong. I mean, were tragic. Yeah. And they're, it's the same process in place. I mean, what the AG said yesterday in the press conference was, we're going to use the triple cocktail um, intravenously and just kind of hope it works. Um and if it doesn't, then we're going to go to the gas chamber. And for those that um, are killed under the death penalty and evidence comes back that they are innocent, where is the justice for them? Because it's too late to come back after we've executed someone. So there is no justice for those folks who may be innocent, who um, yeah, are not about the death penalty. This is one of those deals that like I find so frustrating because – it's not even just like, it's not just that there's a moral argument against it, but there is, right? It's not just that there's a, like an ethical argument against it, but there is. It's not just that there's a statistical argument against it because like we get it wrong so often, but there's that. There's also the practice, like it's not even practical, right? Like it costs us more money. Like it's, there's the only, the only actual argument for capital punishment, in, in my opinion, is that it makes, it's supposed to make somebody feel better. Right, like maybe it's supposed to make the the fam the 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 victims and the families of the victims feel better, but I think there's evidence that it doesn't even do that. Right, um, I'm not super up to date on my uh, criminal justice sociology literature, but I think that there's studies that show that it doesn't even do that. Yeah, right? we have we have a lot of letters in our office right now from victims' families that wrote um, us after this that have said, you know, look, when it took place, we thought it would make us better, make us whole, and it hasn't. And, um, you know, they've written on behalf of ending the practice as well. Um, interestingly, in statistics, if you ask people the question in polling, do you think there should be the death penalty? If that's all you do right now in Oklahoma, it's just over 50 percent that would say yes, that we should still have it. But if you reframe the question in terms of should you have the death penalty or and you give an option, should someone spend life in prison without parole? When you give the option, it's overwhelmingly the case that people choose the option. Mm. And so a lot of how we talk about this is important and how we frame this issue is important. And so when we talk about ending capital punishment, I think we need to talk about what does it look like to not have it? It looks like life in prison without the possibility of parole. It doesn't, it, it isn't capital punishment or they go free. And so framing is really important for us. So when we talk to everyday Oklahomans, I think that the appetite is there to end this barbaric practice, but we have to talk about it in the right way. I think that's interesting. I, and Jason, you and I come from similar ecumenical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I don't throw that word around very often, but, um, you know, he's going to talk like a preacher now. That's well, yeah. you talk like a doctor. I guess I can <laughs> do my piece. I, right. um, at least like a therapist, I, tweeted about it yesterday i think um it could be today all the time is running together when you have a newborn um that that the death penalty issue is not about the accused or the convicted it's about us um they're there they've been convicted the sentencing is about us um our society and and what we feel is our perception of justice what we feel is fair and it's so often um as you said it we don't know how we're going to feel until we are there mm -hmm. until the person has died. And we realize that that didn't erase the crime. It didn't erase our loss. It doesn't, doesn't make it better. Right. That void is still there. Right. The void is still there. And 
you may find some solace in knowing that they can't do more harm to themselves, to others. Like I can, I can see that. Right. Um, but I think the part that is difficult for me about this issue is that it forces me to sit for just a minute even. Right. And think about how I feel about this on a, like if it was me, if it was my loved one on either side of an issue. Yeah. And it's a really difficult thing. And I think, uh, especially in today's day and age where we can issue our hot takes on Twitter about it, you know, um, as we'll talk about in a minute with the new state brand, we got no shortage of hot takes to go around. Uh, and my argument would be that maybe, maybe capital punishment is not an issue where hot takes are appropriate, right? Like these are actual lives state brand. Fine. It's a, it's a picture. It'll change, but like, this is a big deal. And, and I would encourage listeners who I, all six of you are very informed, educated, and um, compassionate people, I'm certain. But um, we're up to six. It's usually just the two of them. Well, I know. That's <laughs> right. I, I assume with Bailey, we've we've tripled our audience. <laughs> um, that we would. Um, I would encourage you to to like, don't talk to anybody. Just sit and listen and like think about it for yourself. And really, maybe you never have. Maybe you just need a few minutes to be like, you know, how do I feel about that? I know that I've had some thoughts about this or I've, I felt this way cause I was grew up this way. I just kind of assumed it's the way it always is that there wasn't another option. Um, but knowing there's a number of other States who don't have it, we don't have to do it. There's, there is another way. What does that look like? Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and just owning it, thinking about it, it's an incredibly emotional issue. And I try to think of it from an emotional standpoint. Is it any different? any more or less emotional for a family that uh, was victimized by a heinous crime than it is emotional for a family that's victimized by um, a wrongful sentence. Mm. And, Mm. and I don't know that it is. Um, I mean, it's incredibly tragic for both sets of families. And we know that we have both of those cases current in our system. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best thing that we can do is take a step backwards and um, have, you know, life sentences without the chance of parole and then use the science that we have at our fingertips to make absolutely certain that these sentences were correct. And I wish I would have heard that yesterday at the press conference. I wish I would have heard a governor that said that we know one in nine people um, have been exonerated, and with 47 people on death row in Oklahoma, this can't be wrong. We have to get it right, mm-hmm. and we're going to take the time. We're going to have spent, we spent the last five years making sure that we had it right, but we didn't. We spent the last five years trying to figure out who would sell us the drug so that we could take other people's lives in our state, and that's the part of me that just hurts about this issue because, yeah, it's tough no matter which family you are. Yeah, man. Well said. I don't, there's not a good transition away from this, so I'm just going to... But that state brain, though. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, well, and we want to talk about that, but before we get there, uh, another sad note, let's... Uh, a, a quick moment of um, uh, silence for Secretary of um, the Oklahoma Juvenile... Authority, juvenile affairs, yeah, affairs, affairs. Mm-hmm. and secretary of health and human services. Yeah, that's right. He had several titles, and um, well, he's not gone. He's just re- he, he has will, resigned. He, he has resigned <laughs> effective March sixth, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Steve Buck, uh, a good man, I would say. This feels like a eulogy. He was a good man, a compassionate man. Still is a good man. Still is a good man. Yeah. So he has served uh, Oklahoma well. I think is a, a, a quintessential example of a uh, public servant who he was at the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services for a number of years, OJA, Health and Human Services. Um, Whenever I've interacted with him or heard him speak, I'm inspired and appreciative. Um, Apparently he got an offer he could not refuse. An offer he could not refuse. (laughs) um, Solid Brando. Thank you. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, so hats off to him. I hope our paths cross. Bailey, I know you probably worked more closely with him than than Scott and I did because we – didn't at all but (laughs) um, tell me your thoughts yeah um we're losing a lot of institutional knowledge within our agencies and and who is in leadership positions and so i think there's a lot of folks 
um, across the political spectrum who respected a uh, Secretary Buck and his approach to um, how he leads and getting the bigger picture of how we fix many of the issues that Oklahoma faces. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite thing that he always talked about was how do we prevent um, certain things that are happening? How do we look at social determinants to do those early interventions to keep kids from needing OJ services to um, avoid going to prison? And um, how do we um, maximize our resources to attack those things on the front end so in the long term we can have a more prosperous Oklahoma? And so he always understood the intersections of all of those issues. And yeah. so that's definitely going to be missing um, in our leadership. And so hopefully uh, the governor will be able to find someone who can fill those shoes. It'll be difficult, um, but um yeah, well, if they just keep uh, consolidating all the all the agencies. We just need one right. person. There'll be really? some, there's got to be somebody with a business degree who can do it. One one agency <laughs> to rule them all. That's right, right, yeah. right. Surely there's somebody yeah. with an MBA who can do it. In the darkness, right? bind them. Yes. Right. No, I mean, uh, loss of Secretary Buck and then uh, with Commissioner Terry White, um, the two of them, man, that's that's a that's a that's a blow. Sure. Um, uh, I'm on it today. I'm I'm but, uh, I'm on it. Was that for Commissioner Buck or was that for the new state brand? That was just for the... Oh, oh my goodness. There's a... Ah, there we go. Yeah, that's uh, that was for Commissioner Buck and uh, and Terry White. So I, I confess, because I, we're, we're moving on, I... I've, I've I've seen the brand. I've I've not paid a great deal of attention to the uh, Twitter. What's, what's, what's the consternation on Twitter with the brand? People don't like it. Yeah, people... Um, People hate it because Twitter hates everything, or because yep. it's yep. bad. Because well, we let, hot takes. let's take a step back for our listeners who may not understand what we're talking about with mm-hmm. the state brand. Excellent yes. idea. So. I, I think also Twitter doesn't understand what they're talking about with the state what brand. What was the state brand prior to the state ah, brand? That's that was my wife's question this morning. Is yes. Oklahoma is okay? Ah, I mean that, that was our like a, that was our current state brand until our new state brand, which mm-hmm. is Oklahoma. Imagine that. Right. Well, so that's like the slogan, but there's also the the yeah, mark, the, right? There's like the star with the colors. And yes, it's like the, a star with yes, yeah. yes, rainbow chevron thing. Here's my thing with it. What does it matter to no, us? It, like, it's not for us, right? It's for people that aren't in Oklahoma. It's right. for people. In, it's for the flyer you pull out of the back of the seat on the airplane you're on. And you're looking through it. And you're like, oh, Oklahoma. That's 100%. Imagine that. Yes. <laughs> it's That's exactly you know, right. Like for, you know, travel magazines at a dentist office in Wyoming. Yeah, and, and, and shaping the perspective looking of how people it. look at Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But right. it's not for us. Of course, we don't like it. We're Oklahomans. Yeah. You know? Well, but, and, and no matter what it was, right? It could have been like, our slogan is everyone gets $100 of cash. Um, we'd be like, no, oh, I, I need 200. Like it, people would have complained That's about it. Bernie's slogan for president. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be a cowboy or sooner. <laughs> right, right. Exactly right. I would, I would encourage you uh, listeners to follow uh, John Roy. Um, he's not a friend of the pod. He hasn't been on the podcast, but he's a good dude. Um, is he, run, is he running the deal on the brand? Is that the deal? No, I, he's not running it, but I think he's involved. Uh, it's John underscore Roy on Twitter. He had, because he shared a graphic that he found that has a bunch of different state brands. And I think that puts it in perspective. And that's what the audience, the public doesn't always have is to show like what other states have. And I'll tell you what, a lot of them are just terrible. Um, like even, even Texas, I think they have a great slogan. It's like a whole other country. Well, because they were a whole other country. You they always say that. have to bring that shit up. It was a good one, <laughs> but their actual brand looks like a, like the, the leather, tag on your blue jeans right and so that's a little on the nose I mean, if it was ours we'd be like uh, we're, we're, we're more than western why would you do that well and i think there's also misconceptions about the process because there are conversations about oh we paid all this money to have right. x group but they did do a statewide search in the design well yeah came from oklahomans and so. they had i mean they had literally hundreds of oklahoma design people who donated their time and were involved I have a number of friends who were involved and you will note, I will note, that the people on Twitter who are complaining, by and large, are not, quote, creatives, right? Like, design people. Because they're just staying out oh, of it. here we go. Just going to create some serious drama. Yeah, like, gonna, who's creative and who isn't? Gonna, I'm, I'm going to shit on. You saw my air quotes. Of us yeah. Listeners, hear my air quotes. Uh, yeah. This is... You know, you know who could, who could, you know who is a friend of the show who could come on and talk with us ad nauseum? 
Who? Well, Lieutenant Governor Pinnell. Oh, that's right. Well, we talked to him. I almost... I we, need to. Ta- we talked to him when he was starting this process right. a year ago. We yeah. sat and had, guth- had uh, donuts in Guthrie, and he talked about they were going to be doing this. He's really passionate about it. You know, yeah. he can come on and... He's been a great ambassador for the state. And yeah. again, Absolutely. it's not for us. Right. right. It's for everyone outside of here. And, you know, I always think it's colorful. I showed it to my kids. And my kids are like, oh, that's colorful. Right. And yeah. it catches your eye. And if you're reading a travel magazine and you flip through and there's an ad for our state mm-hmm. in there and it's colorful and it catches your eye, it's going to make you think twice about, well, oh, maybe I should look into Oklahoma. Right. It looks more but, modern than what we had before. It's it's not terrible. It's fine. I, I saw it and I was like, I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, that works. And then I was like, everybody's pissed off about it on Twitter. I was like, I don't. What is the, is this just people on Twitter that are looking for something to be pissed off Hot takes, hot takes on Twitter. Well, but at the end of the day, it really is about the effort to try to raise the profile of our state to have um, different ideas about who we are and what we can contribute to the country. And so um, I applaud the effort in in trying to raise um, the brand of, of the state. So, yeah. So let's talk about some bills that made us happy this week. Bailey, I know you had a few. Yes, I had a couple of bills that made me happy. Um, one was authored by Representative A.J. Pittman. Oh, so I need to eat this bite. Can yeah, you, you hear do. me now? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, and it's a bill that would allow SNAP recipients, so people who are in need of uh, food assistance, mm-hmm. um, to be able to use those benefits with online delivery with their groceries um, once USDA makes it available. And so currently there are a couple of pilots happening across the country, one particularly in Washington state and another one in New York exploring what that would look like and how that would benefit SNAP recipients. Yeah. And so once USDA, uh, which is the agency that makes the decision on whether or not um, SNAP beneficiaries can can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if they ever allow um, all states to do it, then um, if that bill continues to move through the process and never gets signed into law, then SNAP recipients would be able to partake in that. And I think it's huge for a few reasons. Yeah. Well, so it's it would be like, not just Postmates, but like Walmart, Target, other grocery delivery services for people that are on SNAP. Absolutely. So if there's a grocer in their area um, and they have those capabilities, they would be able to, to utilize those services to get groceries to their home. So I'm thinking about seniors um, yeah. who may not be mobile right. to be able to have someone deliver those groceries or um, that person who may not have reliable transportation who mm-hmm. may need groceries brought to their home. and ensures that uh there's an innovative way to to get more food to people to increase access so well and i and representative dunnington you can probably speak to this as well um as a as a fellow single dad right um so before i was married to my wife now i was a single dad for a number of years you are still a single still a single dad yes you are a fellow no well (laughs) we used to be single dads yes you're not and i am i'm sorry i a, He's team taken. I met a live, lovely woman. And, um, but when I was a single dad, like there were, for one, I didn't make a lot of money. Things were tight. And I can, I can distinctly remember um, uh, a time when I was at home with both kids that were very sick. They in GI distress and I could not take them out anywhere. And I needed both groceries and medication. And this is, I mean, it was before like grocery delivery was a thing, right? Um, and I was trying to like find a friend that I trusted to go get the right things that I could knew that I would give them money and all that. Um, but thinking about single parents out there who work hard all day, one, two jobs, three jobs, right. Trying to care for their kids and like grocery shopping is just not possible, right? Like going to the store with your kids sometimes is just impossible, especially when they're young and, and it's the one thing that like you have to do, but it makes life inordinately difficult. And when the rest of us who maybe are privileged enough to not, um, to not receive this kind of assistance, we can do that. Right. Like I was going to order some stuff from target the other day. We have a newborn. I was like, Hey, I don't have to go to the store anymore. Um, I think that is a privilege that should be extended to others. Absolutely. 
No disagreement there. All right, good. Well, we're all in agreement. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't be in a place of creating separation of classes, yeah. you know, just yeah. because someone that works 40 hours a week, but, um, you know, doesn't earn a living wage. And so mm-hmm. they're using a, a SNAP benefit. I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't have access to all of the same uh, opportunities that someone uh, who makes more has access to. Right. And the the more that we're able to break down those kind of barriers, the more we see each other as just humans. I mean, we all got to eat groceries. Right. And right. it's going to employ people that are bringing groceries, you know, to your house and your community. And why wouldn't we want more of that? Right. So you could be a job creator. It's common sense. Common sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Bailey, do you have any other bills that were really exciting this week? Yeah. The second one, especially since Representative Dunnington is sitting right next to me, definitely want to talk about um, the sales tax relief credit. Um, so for a long time, we've had this credit, but it's been pretty stagnant as far as the value that you get back from it in tax season. And one thing people don't realize I hear often, and I talked about this in the last podcast, that we talk about, oh, we need to build more taxpayers. But the reality is, if you live in Oklahoma and you buy things, you are a taxpayer. And Oklahomans pay more in sales tax than um other people in many other states. Mm -hmm. And so we have a really, really high tax rate. So that means people who are poor in our state are paying more of their money um, on sales tax than other folks. It's a, it's a regressive tax. And so by increasing the value of that credit, we're able to give low income families more relief in tax season. I'm so excited that Representative Dunnington and Representative Bush um, are championing this issue in a bipartisan way. And I'll let him give the exciting news on its movement. Yeah, it's. Uh, I talked to Representative Bush in the interim. We were looking at ways, you know, how can we figure out ways to work together in order to put um, more resources in the pockets of those that need it the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, this credit was initiated in 1990. It was done so because we charge tax on groceries. And um, this was a way to give back money to those that fall either um, that are age 65 and on fixed income and fall into a a category that puts them vulnerable uh, to not having enough resources uh, to take care of themselves, as well as families that earn um, below the poverty line or under $20,000. And so... It, um, you know, the whole scope of it was, we know you're going to buy groceries. We know we tax on groceries. So we provided a $40 credit per individual uh, in order to give back some of that essentially grocery tax money so they, they could use it to buy more groceries. We haven't changed it since 1990. So it's been 30 years. And the price of milk has gone up just a tad. Right. So we doubled it to $80 per individual. Yeah. And um, had it heard in committee this week, passed out seven to nothing. And now it goes on to full A and B next week. Hot dog. I do love some common sense legislation. Related or kind of a similar subject thing every year. You know, so one of the things we, one thing we didn't talk about this week because there's just too much on Monday. uh, State Democrats put out their kind of legislative agenda, legislative plan. Um, My opinion, a lot of of good stuff in there. One thing that's there this year, as there is many years, is trying to restore the uh, uh, refundability of the EITC. Do we think we'll see any movement on that this year? I know there was maybe some optimism last year. It didn't happen. Do we think we're going to see that again this year? Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, It's still political hot potato in the building. One of the reasons that Representative Bush and I put this uh, measure forward this year is we felt like that if we got into a situation uh, where we weren't able to do EITC um, in this legislative session that we could do this sales tax relief credit that would help a similar um, subset of Oklahoma citizens. So, you know, uh, it gives you a different vehicle to, to go in to get to a similar conclusion if you have to. Can I um, take a moment of a point of personal privilege to discuss the earned income tax credit? I am, in fact, a community liaison for, o- for OKCTaxHelp.org. So, listeners, if you have a household income of $56,000 per year or less, 
you should definitely file taxes, first of all. A lot of folks don't file because they think, well, I don't really owe anything or I'm not going to get a refund. And in fact, the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, um, is available to people who work that make less than $56,000 a year. And they will often qualify for a substantial tax credit, right? So you may think like, well, you know, I'm not going to owe anything. True. But you might get like literally thousands of dollars back. It's a huge deal. Um, you can go to OKC Tax Help. Yeah, OKCTaxHelp.org. Um, and you can find out information about it. You can kind of estimate your refund. You can find free tax preparation and filing resources in Oklahoma City. Um, really great deal. So. Absolutely. End of my point of personal privilege. Thank you, Scott, for acknowledging me on that. All right. Um, well, before we go, we would be amiss if we didn't mention that today is a, is a special day with OK Ledge. Today is Valentine's Day, which means it's OK Ledge Valentine's. And we wanted to read to you a few of the most important and sultry legislative sultry. Valentines. <laughs> Bailey, you want to kick us off? Which was the one that I, I had? I got mine ready, Go ahead. Bailey. All right. Go ahead. This comes to us from Brady Walker. My love is like a gaming compact. It automatically renews. Nice. Nice. From Mr. Uh, Brett Bagansky, intrepid reporter. No one can motion to table our love to one another. Well, I'm ready now, so this is a shout-out to Sean Ashley for a good tweet for those who follow legislative process and understand the terminology. Our love may be a work in progress, but it will never sunset. Mm. Nice. Brian Ted Jones says, The Capitol has a dome, a church has a steeple. The powers of initiative and referendum are reserved for the people. This comes to us from Tyler Talley. You make my heart melt faster than a snowball on the Senate floor, Valentine. Is that a reference to Senator Inhofe? I think so. I think so. I believe so. Oh, Senator Snowball. Alfalfa Bill at Capitol Dome says, tonight, let's stimulate the private sector. That's that's inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) A good one from Representative Cindy Munson. Valentine. We will reconvene our hearts at the call of the chair. Mm. Joel Dean says, I love you like the okay legislature loves guns, irrationally, overbearingly, and like someone the red flag laws were made for. That's probably also inappropriate. (laughs) Got a shout out from uh, Yes on State Question 802. Mm. Roses are red, violets are blue. We need Medicaid expansion. Governor Stitt must follow through. <laughs> love it. Uh, Andy, you gave one earlier. I did. I said, I love you like voters love fair maps um, from our, for our campaign. And then personally, I said, baby, please don't consolidate our love. Got it. We've already, we've already mentioned him, but uh, another one from Mr. Brady Walker says, uh, you must be a teacher with guns like that. I, um, I want to say that Tyler may have had the best ones of the year. I particularly loved his Taylor Swift redux. I'm not going to sing, but it was it was really good. Well, it was it was like he had another one that says uh, roses are red, marijuana is green. Let's hope this year's budget cuts are much less obscene. No, that's good. That's good. Well, I think if we are ready to wrap it up, here's a classic one that happens from year to year. So we'll give credit this year to Grant Hermes from News 9 for posting this one. My love for you will never signy die. Nice. It's a little loud, but that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you, uh, Representative Dunnington, for being here. Happy to be here. Bailey Perkins, thank you. Of course. Scott Nelson. Thumbs up from him. Listeners, thank you for being here. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts or 
wherever you consume this delicious listening apparatus because that helps other people discover us and become better informed. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. Bailey is at Bailey M. Perkins. And Andy, me, I'm at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website is letsfixthisok.org. And on there, you can sign up for... Um, really anything newsletter read our blog find resources about upcoming events you can also make a donation or sign up to sponsor a podcast episode which would be you know really cool our podcast is edited and produced by scott bailey and me and let's pod this as a member of the mostly harmless media network our theme music is called rhino funk by artist so down Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all local humans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.